Shalom and welcome to the Jewish Mind, where the growth of modernity meets the timeless wisdom and solutions of Judaism. Studies have shown that one out of five people suffer from loneliness. Studies show that it is a human need to have communication and connection, and that experiencing loneliness is our humanness letting us know that it is not having its needs met. This lecture is going to take us to the mystical teachings that reveal the source of separation, anxieties, abandonment anxieties, and the feeling of loneliness according to Judaism. Most importantly, this lecture will teach us on how to overcome and how to heal these detrimental anxieties and feelings according to the mystical teachings of Judaism. By way of introduction, I want to share with you the background of this mystical teaching that the Rebbe of Righteous Memory delivered in this week of the Torah portion of Lech Lecha, Go Unto Yourself, in the Jewish calendar year of 5721, which is 1960. Hasidim have gathered together and have come to America to spend a month of holidays with the Rebbe. Together, Rebbe and Hasidim celebrated Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot, and Simchat Torah. Now it was time for Hasidim to return to their homes. The Rebbe, at a special Fabrengen, which is a Hasidic gathering, for the guest, delivered a mystical teaching upon the Talmudic teaching, which says, Our rabbis taught, A man before taking leave of his fellow should not finish off with ordinary conversation or joking or frivolity, or idle talk, but what's a matter of halacha. Halacha is Jewish law. And so Mari, the grandson of Rabbi Yehuna, the son of Rabbi Jeremiah, the son of Abba, learnt, before taking leave of his fellow, a man should always finish with a matter of halacha, Jewish law, so that he should remember him thereby. That's what the Talmud, Talmudic teaching is. The Talmud speaks of this in reference of how a man should pray before God, that one should not stand up to say prayer while immersed in sorrow or idleness or laughter or chatter, chatter or frivolity or idle talk, but only while still rejoicing in the performance of some religious act. And from there the sages go on to speak of how the same applies when taking leave of a friend. However, in this mystical teaching, the Rebbe takes the concept of separation between people being the reflection of separation between God and creation, and specifically between God and mankind. Through explaining the purpose of separation that God created in the process of God creating the world, we will enter into the cure for the feelings of separation, abandonment, and loneliness that we experience as a human being in relationship with ourselves, with God, and with another human being. One more interesting point is, that this teaching was delivered in the week of the Torah portion which begins with God commanding Abraham to, and I quote the verse, Go forth from your land and from your birthplace and from your father's house to the land that I will show you. End quote. The exact words in the text is lech lecha, which can be interpreted as go for, yourse for yourself, for you, which means your sake which our commentaries explain that God promises Abraham that Abraham if that if Abraham will go he will achieve fame wealth and to have an offspring however in its purest literal sense Kabbalah and Hasidus define the words lech lecha to mean go to you 
meaning your essence. Here too we are seeing that God is commanding Abraham to experience separation and abandonment and loneliness from everything that a human defines as his identity and circle of connection, from his land, his birthplace, and his father's home. Yet God is precisely promising Abraham that what Abraham will find is beyond connection, and with this Abraham will be breaking the epidemic of loneliness. Thus, this is the title and the set intention of this lecture, Beyond Connection, Breaking the Epidemic of Loneliness. In the teaching of Kabbalah Hasidus, the secret of creation begins with the Tzimtzum, literally means contraction. The Tzimtzum is explained as follows. First God and God's infinite light filled all. Then God contracted His infinite light, causing a space of void, into which God then brought a ray of light from which the world was created. Thus the understanding here is that before the Tzimtzum there could exist no finite worlds, and that only through the Tzimtzum, which created a void, it became possible to create finite vessels for the light, from which illuminated and came forth finite emanations, from which the world came to being and is consistently vivified and sustained. However, to understand the Tzimtzum, its powers of creating separation and its purpose for doing so, we will need to first understand two fundaments. A. The first fundament is that the Tzimtzum did not create a new reality. Rather, it reversed our experience of reality. There is a primary teaching in Kabbalah that states, and I quote it, God is complete without any lacking, God forbid. And if we say that He has infinite power and He has no finite power, you are lacking in His completeness. Thus, as He has infinite power, so too He has finite power. End quote. What this means in simpler terms is, that with God's light there exists both the infinite light and the finite light, and that God is not in the infinite any more than God is in the finite, and God is not in the finite any less than God is in the, in the, in the infinite. Parenthetically speaking, this is saying that God is no more present in miracles than God is present in nature and that God is no less present in nature than God is present in miracles. This is something to meditate upon, as when we feel lonely and separated from God, most often we pray for a miracle in which God shows us that God is with us. However, now we're understanding that God is no more in the miracles, the infinite, than He is in nature, in the finite. We can find God and God's closeness to us also in nature. Now let us see how this fundament explains the Tzimtzum. Prior to Tzimtzum, the infinite light dominated the finite light to the point that the finite was completely saturated, surrounded, and dominated by the infinite. Thus the finite was not experienced at all. Thus the purpose of the Tzimtzum was to reverse how we are experiencing reality, in which the infinite would be completely saturated, surrounded, and dominated by the finite. This will become clearer as we continue this lecture. However, please recognize this fundament. Before the Tzimtzum, 
all of finite was experienced through the infinite, and thus, if God was to create the world without the Tzimtzum, we would not have any experience of finite, and the world would be only the experience of the infinite. However, post-Tzimtzum, all of the infinite is experienced through the finite. Let us take this into simple layman language. In every single fruit there is a seed which has the infinite power of generational reproduction. This seed will bring forth a tree with many fruits, each fruit having within them seeds. Thus each fruit carries within it the infinite power. However, the experience in reality is the finite fruit, the finite tree, the finite amount of fruits on the tree, and the finite amount of seeds within the fruits on the tree. Thus our experience of the infinite is solely through the finite. The second fundament that we must remember is that, there is that every descent is solely for the purpose of gain and profit. The ultimate purpose of the Tzimtzum, which, is, which in being concealment, the Tzimtzum is considered a descent, is for the purpose of a gain and profit in the revelation, which is the ascent. Thus the final experience of creation brought about through and after the Tzimtzum cannot be to bring back the original experience of the infinite light. That would be without a profit. Rather, it is a far greater than the original infinite light that is introduced into creation through the Tzimtzum. Let us again search to express this in simple layman terms. God's desire for creation was that God to dwell within this world of separation and freedom of choice. However, when we say that God dwell, we must clearly understand that we are not talking of degradation, but of an ultimate ascent. Thus, we are not speaking of God contracting Himself, so to speak, so that He can fit into this physical dollhouse, but rather that God dwell in His total essence and glory within a finite physical realm in which God was chosen by His creations. Thus, while the Tzimtzum had to create the possibility of a finite world, in which darkness and rebellion can exist. Nevertheless, the ultimate profit of the Tzimtzum is that the greatest essence of God then dwell within the finite physical world of possible separation and rebellion, who then freely chose to coronate God as his or her king. With these two fundaments in place, we can now continue with understanding how the Tzimtzum created separation, abandonment, and loneliness, and how to overcome it. Before we unearth the secrets to overcoming the Tzimtzum, I want to first turn inwards the Tzimtzum and the two fundaments upon which the Tzimtzum is built. In our personal lives, we experience the Tzimtzum and its two fundaments. The soul is truly a piece of God, and is thus complete in having its infinite and its finite powers. Many of, of us struggle with the symptom process that we need to embrace if we are to make a difference in our finite world. Simply speaking, every epiphany that comes to us needs to then be contracted into flowcharts and procedural manuals. So too, every passion must be contracted into committed finite hours of practice. The glorious infinite power of our soul 
must be contra contracted into the mundane finite powers of expression and achievement. And nevertheless, the only reason for processing the infinite epiphany into and the infinite passion is because at the end, the finite expression of the original epiphany or passion will embrace an even greater infinite glory of the essence of our soul and our being. The practical truth is that those who embrace and endure the symptom process dwell in the pleasure of fruition and fulfillment, while those who refuse to subject themselves to the symptom process live in the pains of frustration of what could have but never did happen. Let us now return to the universal symptom. After God created the world through the separation of symptom, God then went on and made three covenants with the world. One was with Noah through the rainbow, the second was with Abraham through the circumcision, and the third was with Moses through the second tablets. Before we explore the purpose for the three different covenants, let us first understand what a covenant does. In ancient times, covenants between people were performed by the ritual cutting the carcass of an animal into two, one half laid opposite of the other with space of an aisle in between. Then the two individuals entering into a covenant would walk together down the aisle in between the two halves of carcasses of the animals. The reason for this ritual was that the covenant was the act in which the two people entered into a higher relationship, revealing that they were in essence two halves of one whole. We find this very ritual described in our Torah portion, in which God directs Abraham in preparing the ritual for God to enter into a covenant with Abraham. Let me quote to you how it's read in this week's Torah portion. And he, God, said to him, Abraham, Take from me three heifers and three goats and three rams and a turtle dove and a young bird. And he, Abraham, took for him, God, all these and he divided them in the middle and he placed each part opposite its mate. Now it came to pass that the sun had set and it was dark and behold a smoking furnace and a firebrand which passed between these parts. On that day the Lord formed a covenant with Abraham saying, To your seed I have given this land from the river of Egypt until the great river, the Euphrates River. And it goes on with what God promises. Thus, we can now appreciate that after God has made the Tzimtzum as the founding act of separation through which God then created the world within this sense of separation, abandonment, and loneliness, God is now making a covenant with the world, which is the deepest act of union, experiencing that in essence what seems to be two are truly two halves, of one ever-existing whole. However, God made three different covenants with the universe, in each creating another level of unity. Let us explore the three different covenants. The first covenant with Noah was the covenant of creation. God swore to Noah that God would never again obliterate or disrupt the existence of creation. In Kabbalah and Hasidus, it is explained that the union that takes place in order to sustain creation is the external union, in which there is a consistent union between the parent emanations, the father being wisdom and the mother being understanding. 
From this external union between the father and the mother emanations, there is the consistent existence of the seven offspring emanations, of which the world was created from in seven days. The seven days of the emotion emanations is kindness, strictness, compassion, all the way on to the seventh emotion of kingship. Thus the first covenant was only that of the external union, in which external union exists for the purpose of creating and sustaining the finite world of separation. The second covenant with Abraham was the covenant of the Torah and the Holy Land. When you look into the verses of the covenant with Abraham that I quoted above, the promises that God makes to Abraham is concerning Abraham's children being slaves in a, a foreign land, referring to Egypt, of course, after which God will take them out of their slavery, give them the Torah, and the Holy Land of Israel. Kabbalah and Hasidus explain that the difference between the Ten Commandments of the Torah, which begins with the letter Aleph, Anochi, and the Ten Utterances of Creation, which begins with the letter Bet, Bereshit, is that both manifest the intellects of God. However, creation is called doodling, mundane, while the Torah is called the inner, deepest pleasure of God. Thus, while creation is the external union of God's wisdom and understanding, the Torah is the internal union of God's wisdom and understanding. Torah and mitzvot thus bring into the world an infinite light that is unprecedented through the ten utterances of, and God said, let there be, and everything that God created. However, this covenant, while it brought an internal union, However, this was a union between the two internal realms of wisdom and understanding. This was not a union between the internal and the external. It was a union between the separated experiences within the internal alone. Thus, one more covenant was necessary. The third covenant through Moses was the covenant of teshuva, repentance, return. After the Jewish people received the Ten Commandments from God, Moses ascended Mount Sinai for 40 days. On the 40th day, the Jewish people created the golden calf, committing the transgression of idolatry. Moses then went back up for another 40 days, praying to God that God not annihilate the Jewish people. Then, Moses returned for a third set of 40 days and descended on the day that was to become Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement, with a second set of tablets. This was the covenant of Teshuva. The covenant of the Torah places limitations upon Teshuva in which it embraces the involuntary sin. However, with voluntary sins, and especially those punishable by death, the Torah cannot embrace. This is where the internal union of God's Torah and the external union of human experiences are separated and collide. Thus, after the Torah was given and human experience collided with the Torah, meaning that they created the golden calf, Moses now prayed for the ultimate union and the ultimate covenant in between God and us, the covenant of teshuva, repentance and returning. The mystical power of this covenant is that the unity and oneness of God's completeness beyond the infinite light of oneness and the finite light of separation all was, is, and always will be one. Let me repeat that. The mystical power of this covenant is that the unity and oneness of God's completion 
beyond the infinite light of oneness and the finite light of separation, all was, is, and always will be one. This is the power of Teshuva, in which the Jew connects with the essence of God beyond both the infinite light and the finite light. This could only be experienced by first having the separation, abandonment, and loneliness of the human, in which he is free to experience the totality and fragility of his humanness. Then, from that place of separation, abandonment, and loneliness, the human searches for the deepest oneness with God, with the essence of God, which was with him even as he fell and sinned. This new connection with God, the covenant of Teshuvah connection, is where the person finds the deepest essence of self and becomes open and one with the essence of God, which transcends beyond the limitations of creation and beyond the limitations of the Torah, in which Israel and King are alone. Now we can understand the deeper meaning to the teaching of the Talmud that one not take leave from his friend but through words of Halakha, Jewish law. Why specifically Jewish law and not any other part of the Torah? There are so many different parts of the Torah, not just that which dictates Jewish law. Yet our sages say specifically through Jewish law. The answer is that the entire point of this teaching is to transcend beyond separation and specifically the separation caused by the symptom, which is the source of all forms of separation. Thus, ultimately speaking, the words of Torah itself can remain an intellectual or emotional experience. It is precisely the law of the Torah that mandates our physical behavior, which brings union between the Torah oneness and the human separation. For Jewish law is where the wisdom and will of God become one with the physical human experience. Most precisely, it isn't the words of Jewish law as much as it is the actions of Jewish law that, that transcend beyond separation and bring about true unity in the universe. In closing, I want to share with you an interesting phenomenon. One of the classic songs that touch a chord within all is a song of Paul Simon and Art Garfinkel called The Sound of Silence. It speaks of the chaos caused by the Tzimtzum, a chaos in which the neon lights becomes the pursuit, goal, and comfort. And it speaks of the power to overcome the chaos, the separation, abandonment, and loneliness that lie in the sound of silence. The song is amazing and appreciated, and even its message is intellectually and emotionally embraced. However, it is the experience of the sound of silence that we refuse to experience and endure. We all long for the unity that lies beyond the sound of silence. However, we are not willing to take the journey through the sound of silence to get there. Instead, we turn to relationships, money, drugs, alcohol, and all other mind-altering experiences to bring us to the promised union without the necessary journey through the symptom of silence. There is a silver lining to feeling separated, abandoned, and lonely, and it is the sound of silence demanding of us to find ourselves.
The gift of Tzimtzum is to have made us lonely in both the infinite and the finite, demanding of us to find the essence. So too it is within our personal feelings of separation, abandonment and loneliness. Our personal Tzimtzum made us lonely with the feelings, with the outside of who we are, and it made us feel abandoned and separated from ourselves in hiding within relationships with others. Our personal Tzimtzum pushes us to find our essence which deserves of forgiveness and of love and oneness with self, God and with the universe. And once again I emphasize the sage's emphasis upon Jewish law being an emphasis upon action. Finding ourselves intellectually or even emotionally isn't enough to bring true unity with self, God and the universe. We must take this unity of self into our actions. Friends, modernity offers growth and growth comes with challenges. Judaism offers timeless divine solutions. The Jewish mind is where modernity meets Judaism.